Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Roan, part of the Cavs media family. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now live via Zoom is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? To take a page out of the No Dunks playbook, we got ourselves a trade. (laughs) We absolutely have ourselves a trade. But before we get into that, Carter, let's start on a sour note. You're going to start grumpy? I knew you were going to start grumpy. I'm going to start grumpy because I I need to get it out of the way because I I think the rest of this podcast is going to be just, you know, pure good vibes. Discussing Karis LeVert, the newest member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, once again, Carter, one of the players that we've been speaking into existence, joins the Cavs following uh, a nice legacy of Andre Drummond, uh, Jared Allen, Laurie Markkinen, and now Karis LeVert. You know, we, we, we've got a pretty good hit rate on that, but we need to discuss Jared Allen once again being snubbed. Uh, LaMelo Ball has been named as the injury replacement for Kevin Durant. Uh, that was does, the... does Adam Silver not know what city this event is in? I well, mean, all the good all the good reasons aside. I thought this, you know, this is exactly the kind that the Twitter commissioner strikes again, Justin. Yeah, that, that's been more, our one more interested. Graph. That's more been... interested than 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 getting you know the 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 bloggers and the podcasters the 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 joy they want as opposed to taking care of good old fashioned blue collar Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Carter, like honestly, my persecution complex has kicked into high gear. Not only were the Charlotte Hornets gifted four points for no good reason, they were also gifted an All Star for no good reason. Oh and wow, couldn't it, be more it, accurate. It's, you know, it, it, it drives me nuts because I, I think Jared Allen was a very deserving all-star, obviously. Uh, we've been over that this After season. he put up 29 and 22 on LaMelo's team. On LaMelo's team. What are we team? doing here? On LaMelo's team, who made a comeback with LaMelo benched for the season. Hmm. The Charlotte Hornets are better with LaMelo on the bench than on the court. LaMelo is Oh, absolute- wow. You came in ready. Oh, I I came in ready. I did a little bit of homework before this. But you know what? Like, LaMelo is deserving of all-star consideration. He's fantastic. I I like what the Hornets have built. I think it's another great example of, you know, these organically built teams along with Cleveland, along with Memphis. And and I I think there's real potential for a rivalry there uh, between the Cavs and Hornets. Hopefully. Well, there is now, my friend. uh, Well, hopefully in like a year or two when Charlotte's good enough to make the playoffs, we we can have a little bit of a series against them (laughs) and, and, you know, get, uh, get the rivalry juices going. But uh, in the meantime, it's frustrating. Jared Allen is an all-star no matter what, uh, no matter what Adam Silver says in this situation. And I I just wanted to start there because I, I felt like we need to address it off the top before we moved on to Karis Levert. I forgot how good punching down Justin was, you know, like we've been punching <laughs> up for some time, but Justin, you're at your best when you're being mean to teams that are worse than the Cavs. I'll tell you what, buddy. And, and that sample size and that group of teams that I can pick from to, to pick on is growing by the day. And you know me, Carter, like it's not one of my best traits, but when I'm upset, I just start swinging. I swing in every single direction. I take everyone else down with me. And this is absolutely one of those scenarios. But you know what? Let's move on. Let's keep things positive. Let's talk and, about the fun stuff. And talk the about... The dude who just dropped Karis a cool Levert. 40 burger. <laughs> yes, Karis LeVert, who... Oh, my goodness. That... that like, that alone is a perfect example of what he will be bringing to the table. Like, maybe not necessarily... 42 points per game um but the ability you can't rule it out justin you you can't rule it out and and i i think one of the things that we kind of identified when we were talking about the needs for the Cavs heading into this trade deadline was all right weighing the need for additional shooting 
with shot creation. And I think we both agreed that somebody that can actually go out there and dribble, that can compromise a defense and create easier opportunities for his teammates was among the biggest needs for the Cavs. And um, I, I've said this before, but what I really liked about Karis LeVert is I feel like he splits the difference between what you are missing from Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton. He's not Probably. as... He's not as good of a scorer as Colin Sexton, but you know, he is somebody that can get anywhere he wants to on the court. I think he's a better passer than Sexton. Uh, He's one of the better uh, pick and roll ball handlers uh, in the league this season. Scores in the 81st percentile as when he shoots out of the pick and roll this season. And and friend of the podcast, Sam Vecini did a really good uh, article uh, kind of breaking down the trade. Uh, I I agreed with his assessment that this is a win-win for both teams involved. Uh, He noted that Karis Levert is in the top 30 in the NBA and offense derived from hitting the roll man on passes out of ball screens. Does that sound like somebody that would fit well with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Carter? It does. And you know what? What's so crazy about the Cavs is they are a team with two elite role threats in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But because of the lack of ball handling personnel on the team, they're 25th in the NBA right now in pick and roll frequency. Mm hmm. Um, they, they, it's not a big part of what their team does. They do a lot of high post stuff. They do a lot of regular post stuff. They don't run a ton of high pick and roll. Darius runs about 8.2 or 8.3 a game. Uh, then I think the next closest healthy player on the team that is not out for the season is Rondo at 3.5. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they, there's nothing. And then, and then short, then Goodwin's at 2.9, who's also barely a rotation player. And then it's Okoro at 0.9. So like there is literally no one that is running pick and roll on this team except Darius right now with personnel that's pretty well suited for it. They have, they have elite catch and shoot bigs in a Lowry Markinen and Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. They have uh, their other guards and, and Jetty Osman. Uh, and Darius Garland, also very capable shooters. like, And they just don't have any way to – there's no road to that for them offensively right now. So this is a huge addition from that perspective. Like, I know he is not Ricky Rubio. I know he can be a ball stopper. But, like, it's a spot where the Cavs, especially for this season, there's such a dearth of creation that just any injection of it was going to be huge. I mean, Eric Gordon would have been a huge injection of of ball handling and playmaking. And that's barely a part of what he does. So the fact that this is a a staple part of Karras' game, it feels like a really good fit on that side of the ball. Absolutely. And I I think there are justifiable concerns when it comes to Karis LeVert. Like I, a lot of kind of the, the people that lean very heavily on advanced stats and whatnot will say, okay, the, Impact hasn't matched the raw numbers, and and the raw numbers are good. Like, you look at Karis LeVert since the start of December, Carter, he is averaging 21.3 points, 5.4 assists with only 2.2 turnovers, shooting 46% from the floor and 35% from three on five attempts per game. Uh, He is shooting 39% on catch-and-shoot three-pointers. That that is obviously something that's going to help. Not high volume right now, worth noting. Very very low volume. Two, Two attempts a game, right? Not not even two attempts. He, he's got 70 attempts in 39 games played, so uh, below two attempts per game. But I, I do think, and this is, again, kind of when you look at team building and roster construction, I think often players get presented as being a little more rigid than they are, like a, that they are just a specific puzzle piece and they fit in an exact way. And I feel like the Cavs are in a real good position to optimize Karis LeVert's strengths. Uh, he is a big guard uh, slash wing at, at 6'6", uh, 6'10", wingspan. And especially with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley behind him, I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to be someone that's going to be in position, at least defending well in space. And if he does kind of lose his assignment every now and then, uh, and, and some of the defensive inconsistency that we've seen in his career up to this point happens... It's very similar to what they've been dealing with with Lowry and recently with Brandon Goodwin. I I mean, Brandon Goodwin is sure competing hard on defense, but he loses guys a ton. I I think that Kelly Oubre wide open three point jumper uh, in the closing minutes against Charlotte was a very good example of that. I think Karis LeVert is an upgrade on that. And the reality is, especially since Ricky has gone down. When teams are really committing on slowing Garland down and are trapping him and getting the ball out of his hands, 
you're you're chucking at the end of those possessions. A lot of those possessions are coming down to the last five seconds of a shot clock and adding someone that can get wherever he wants to on the court, someone that is a tough shot maker, is a huge bonus for the Cavs. Because at the end of the day, like you, you sometimes have players that are their shooting percentages. Then you have others whose shooting percentages reflect the degree of difficulty in the shots that they take. And I feel like Karis LeVert is the latter, where he has been in situations where he's being asked to do a little bit too much, where he's taking difficult shots. Some of that is his own decision-making. Let's be very clear on that. But I do feel like the Cavs are in a position to kind of ask him to play to his strengths more so than the aspects of his game that aren't as good, like trying to be Victor Oladipo and replace him or trying to be a number one, number two option on the Brooklyn Nets uh, with Kyrie out of the lineup. Like, I I think that this is a much better situation for him to accentuate and highlight what he does do well. Yeah, and I will say we probably should be a little more balanced in noting the catch and shoot threes have never been good for for no. Karras. I mean, he's, I, I he's, think it's like thirty three percent for his career. He's historically actually been better shooting off the dribble than as, as a catch and shoot guy, which is a weird anomaly. I'm not sure if it means much. I mean, obviously, he's a very comfortable shot maker with the ball in his hands, and maybe that's as as simple as it needs to be. But yeah, I mean, it it, it is a really interesting fit for this team. I, I'm so excited to see it, and it is worth noting as well. This is a team that, I mean, they'll likely be replacing Isaac Okoro in the starting lineup. So it's not like the shooting is going to take a big dip um, so, if, so if that, Levert that is, is put in the starting lineup. That, that is where you're kind of leaning towards, is that uh, Karis Levert will start at the two? That's my expectation. I don't know about you. I just I think that Lowry, the, the three big thing, has felt pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um the lineup data all suggests that the three big thing is pretty good. And frankly, the team is still so thin at the wing that you'd rather buy yourself some extra bench minutes with Isaac than need to play Kevin and Lowry as you two big bench bigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, that's, I that's just my take. What do you think? I, I'm of the same mind. Um, I would deploy Levert very similar to how the Cavs use Colin Sexton, where I would start him at the two and have him be that first sub out and bring Isaac in and allow Levert to really kind of run the second unit, similar to what Sexton does. Now, I'm I'm still not 100% confident that he can necessarily be like a backup point guard in, in that sense, and you may need to play Brandon Goodwin, Rajon Rondo, or, you know, maybe someone that they add at the trade deadline, because there is still time before the trade deadline uh, if they do bring in another ball handler. But I do th- like the idea of you have Levert sub out right away. He's running the, the second unit. Uh, you you have him out there with, let's say, Rondo, Jetty Osmond, Kevin Love, Evan Mobley. That feels like a unit that that's dynamic, that has guys that can break guys down off the dribble, that can create jump shot opportunities for Jetty Osmond. And he's been a very good ball handler in the pick and roll. And I, I think the fact that he's already got chemistry with Jared Allen and experience playing with him bodes really well for his chemistry now with the Cavs, right? Like, in a lot of ways, the Cavs are just a better version of that Nets team from a few years ago. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I I feel like there is some conversation around Levert. Like, he's just the guy who's, like, kind of just an inefficient chucker on teams that don't win. And it's like, he was a really big part of that Nets resurgence. And, like, obviously, his career took a turn in a lot of weird ways going Mm -hmm. to Indiana. Obviously, he found out he had cancer, which is terrible and you know came back and then by the time he was back this indiana team just felt like it was falling apart you know like culturally they they had nate Nate bjorkren as their coach last year and everyone didn't seem to like him too much he got he got canned after a year and then it's clearly not going great with rick carlisle this year so like you know like i think he's just on a team that like has like four guys asking out at any given time, it's really hard to evaluate someone there. I'm 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 very interested to see how a guy like Levert fits into this wider Cavs picture once Darius gets back, because you know we really haven't got we saw him play a little bit with that Nets team before he got sent off in the James Harden trade, and it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I I thought he was perfectly helpful for them. Uh, so you know, I I'm just very very excited to see how how it how it 
goes. But I do want to ask you this. What are your red flags? We've, we've painted a pretty sunny picture so far, but what are, what's got you, if, if there's reasons for this to go wrong, what are they? I mean, the biggest concern is injuries with Karis LeVert. Like he's a guy very similar to Lowry where he's just kind of had all of these injuries pop up, not necessarily any one like med, big red medical flag or anything like that, but he misses time. And if he does miss time, I I have a concern that you're now in the position that you were prior to this trade, where all of a sudden Darius is once again one of the only guys in college, buddy. (laughs) he's missed time a lot in his career. There have been some people that said, "Oh, well, you can't count the you know the 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 season where he had obviously major personal health stuff uh, against him." But you know, I I mean, even not accounting for that, he mostly plays like fifty, sixty games a year. That Mm -hmm. is kind of like his his peak. That he, yeah. that he tends to play. So the Cavs are going to need to still have depth behind him uh, at, at any given time. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you're looking at needs with the deadline still approaching, I wouldn't mind getting another ball handler. Like, it, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a point guard. Um, I, I think either a wing that is capable of initiating some offense or a combo guard, like uh, almost like an upgraded version of Brandon Goodwin. I, I think that there would be advantages to that kind of an addition. Uh, I'm still fixated on Nick Batum. I'm going to speak that into existence. Uh, Carter. Yeah, and let, let me ask this. Would you rather chase another point guard ball handler type, you know, a guy like Dennis Schroeder who might be available, or would you like to chase a wing if, if you had your druthers? I, if the wing provides some level of playmaking, where it's maybe like, I don't want to say Gordon Hayward because he does it at such a high level, but you you know, even what Nick Batum can do, like I, I have confidence that he would make the right decisions uh, and can be an outlet when teams are really trapping and attacking Garland. I, I think I would lean wing, but I, I do see the value in both. And reality is like when you do go to a trade deadline, you have to kind of accept that you have no real control over what types of players are available. We don't even know if Nick Batum is available. I, I think it's reasonable to assume that they'd be looking to cut some costs. Uh, but that's a pretty good Clippers roster, actually. Like, especially after the additions of Robert Covington and Norman Powell. Like, they've got a lot of depth. If those stars came back, like, that's a roster that, that would really, really make some noise in the Western Conference. So um, it, it's tough. Uh, you, you you can't be too, too picky, but I, I think I would lean wing over combo guard. I think I would too. Um, just cause Lavert can do that. But the nice thing about Lavert is I feel like he does, he does solve a lot of that. You know, if we run, if, if the Cavs, let's say the Cavs are done, which is very, very possible, by the way, <laughs> most teams don't make two trades at the deadline, yeah. uh, especially teams that are trying not to give up any rotation players mm-hmm. in that, those that trades, ideally which... want to stay below the luxury tax. And, and yes. I should add, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but, uh, I should add that with this trade being done, the Cavs no longer have that Ricky Rubio designated player exception. Yep, and that that is that was a big tool in their in their in their toolkit. They're likely they do have a, a smaller Colin Sexton trade exception that they mm. could use, uh, or a designated player exception that they could use. Um, but like you know, it, it's going to be harder to to duck the tax. And and for anyone who you know, there's always the you know, don't cry cry poor for the owners but like there's legitimate uh strategic benefits to not being a tax paying team to, to you to know not start that repeater clock at this point. not 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 start the repeater clock have access to the full mid-level except exception this offseason it's it's not just you know just save dan gilbert money you know mm-hmm. i i think there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that if you're a team that's near the tax in where the cabs are which is not quite contender status. I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to be really, really smart about what kind of salary you bring in. So I'm not sure another move is going to be made, but the thing that's nice with Levert is he can kind of do all that stuff, you yeah. know, like he can play a little backup one, especially with Goodwin, uh, you know, if, on a night where Rondo doesn't have it, Goodwin can just kind of be more of an off ball one. That's kind of just be playing that Sexton role, just attacking the bucket, not worrying as much about, you know, generating uh, a ton of offense for others. Uh, he can, he can be the swing uh, two, three, like he, he's just a really versatile player that, yeah. that plugs a lot of holes for them. I, I agree. And I, I think like we, we discussed Levert starting at the shooting guard position. I, I think 
and this has been a consistent theme on this podcast. I think people make too much over who starts and who comes off the bench. Like I do not anticipate Isaac Okoro to have like a diminished role. Like I still think that he's a really important part of this team. I think that he is probably their best perimeter defender. And I don't think that changes with this trade. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Levert and Okoro close together. Um, I, I think that that gives them a lot of kind of uh, mobility on the perimeter, especially when you look at teams like Charlotte or the Memphis Grizzlies that really get out in transition. Like, I think who they go with and, and who they close with and, and who gets more minutes on a night-to-night basis is likely going to be based off performance. It's going to be based off matchup. And really, the Cavs all season have been a share-of-the-wealth team, right? Like, we've talked about how they don't have a 20-point-per-game score. Uh, that, that's playing for them this season. He, even Colin Sexton, who is a, a score first player, was buying into that team concept. And I, I think no matter who they bring in here, if they do bring in anyone else or Karis LeVert, you need to fit into that culture uh, because that is what the Cavs are, are trying to establish. And on a night-to-night basis, some nights it'll be yours, some nights it'll be someone else's. So I, I think they'll likely ride the hot hand and, and just the, this kind of internal competition, too, I, I think is really, really important for a young team because everybody is going out there working towards the same goal, but competing for minutes by doing the right things. And I, I think that's a really positive environment. And if you have Okoro coming in off the bench, you're going to maybe be able to give him some ball handling reps with the second unit like you're going to allow him to play off of a smart player like Karis Levert who when he is running the pick and roll and when he's penetrating the defense keeps his head up and is able to find cutters like you look at the old clips of him and Jared Allen together in Brooklyn and uh, some of the reads are are really really impressive and I I think that this is a a situation that's really conducive to him looking good as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And, you know, one other thing that a trade like this does is, and I talked about this a little bit before they made the trade, which is they don't have to really, they didn't have to send anyone out. This was a team that was short on available bodies that they could count on on a night-to-night basis. And now that eight-man rotation that JB really trusts expands to nine. Yeah. And it means that on a night where Jetty might not have it, because Jetty's a hot and cold player. We know it. He was ice yeah. cold <laughs> until the fourth quarter of that game, which, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We haven't even talked about that cavalanche <laughs> against the Pacers. Um, but, like, you know, on a night where Jetty doesn't have it, JB oftentimes, and this has been kind of the story the last couple of years, is like, well, they don't have it, but I don't got really anyone else I can throw out there. You know, the, there's a lot more flexibility for JB with more active players. So even if a guy like Lamar Stevens falls out of the rotation on a night where Lavert or someone is banged up or the team needs an infusion of energy, it, it's an easy Lamar. Come on, <laughs> go, yeah. go, go be that dog. That, or or that we know you are. if Laurie doesn't have it right. Like there's a, a lot of options for JB yeah, to he, go to. Yeah. He, he just has a lot of contingency plans in coverages and, you know, uh, and, Role players don't always have it. You know, we talked about with Rondo too, and he played one of his, his absolute best game as a Cavalier, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, against the Pacers last night. So, like, you really want optionality as a coach with your role players. Your stars, they're going to have to be stars. They're, you know, Mobley, Allen, Garland, they're going to have to be legitimately good almost every night for the Cavs to, to win, or at least, you know, consistently above average. Everyone else is going to swing. So you really want to have more bodies that can that can help. And I think the Cavs are in a spot where, you know, if Lamar Stevens is your 10th man or Dean Wade is your 10th or 11th man, you are really you really have a nice roster going. Yeah, you you once again are are now in a position like we we didn't think that the Cavs had great depth coming into this season and then it kind of became clear that oh, they actually do have some guys that they can go to and rely on. Uh, at the end of the bench and I I think they're now on track to kind of get back into that position that's been taken away from them with injuries and COVID and and everything else that has caused guys to to be unavailable but um, you're you're starting to see that guys are getting a little more comfortable Rondo certainly looks a lot more comfortable but I I think your your note I believe it was on the last podcast about how some nights veterans just don't have it like especially veterans at that point in, in their careers yeah, like I, I think that that's a really valid one. And ugh, I, I mean, the last two games have been so important. I, getting wins against Charlotte and Indiana while Garland is resting is massive because it, it keeps the Cavs 
in the position that they're in in the standings. Uh, it gives Garland extra rest. I, I think the fact that Garland w- was questionable prior to the Indiana game is a positive sign rather than ruled out the day before. Uh, the fact that he was doing the limbo basically on the bench after Jetty Osman hit that three-pointer. Well, either he was doing the limbo or he's weakened at burning. Because he, <laughs> he, he might have, they might have killed him. They, they, uh, they might have killed him with that avalanche. And, and you know what? Like that was honestly one one of the more fun stretches that I, I can recall. Uh, I, so I was Ro- watching, Romo Fijo was, was losing its mind. Like that was a bro, that was a play. I was losing bro. my mind in my living room an hour after it happened because I, <laughs> I I happened to have my brother over so i didn't i didn't start the game on time and i was literally just i i was standing up jumping up and down punching the air i was so it was just the most fun i'm, I'm it, glad you i'm glad you were a massive destruction dork. I'm, I'm mad you were a massive dork like i was because i was legitimately i was in that allen jersey behind me jumping up and down uh g- giving like the the three-point hands like i was on the Cavs bench like i i was making absolute fool of myself and it was so much fun like i i love and again like this is it, it's still surreal to me that we can do this podcast and, and be partnered with the Cavs and, and still just kind of be fans and, and be dorks and be idiots like that to me is so much fun but like seeing this group come together the way that it has seeing kevin love contribute in the way that he has like 100 percent there, there is no scenario where I'm okay with moving Kevin Love now, right? Like, no, nope. this, this is it's one of my favorite stories of the season. He has been such a valuable contributor, and I really think beyond these two wins, because I was fine with kind of punting these games and resting Darius, getting him right for the stretch run. Uh, we've got a game against Philadelphia coming up right after the trade deadline. That's going to be really important in the standings. You want him to be healthy for those games, but. For the Cavs to come together and find ways to be competitive and to win games without Darius, I think is super, super important. And I think it's important in particular for Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who JB has empowered during this stretch to initiate some of the offense, to to find ways to, to you, you know, generate looks. And with Garland coming back, with Markin coming back, with Levert joining the team, I think that is going to allow them to give different looks offensively that you're, you're now going to have them. Maybe you don't want them initiating offense for an entire quarter and and scoring 13 or 15 points or whatever the case was, right? Like obviously it wasn't always pretty, but I I think for a possession or two, being able to to count on those guys to, to run offense, to, to be a little bit more assertive. I think that makes this a a more balanced attack for the Cavs because at the end of the day, especially come playoffs, you need to be able to initiate offense in a variety of ways. You need to be able to score in a variety of ways because teams will always try to take away your number one option from you. And I, I think the Cavs became a little bit too one dimensional as a result of the injuries. And I, I think they're better suited now to be competitive during this stretch run, especially as they get healthy. Yeah, they are so well positioned, Justin. <laughs> like I, I said it on uh, the spaces we did with Chops after uh, the, the the night of the trade. Um, I've said it on Twitter since. This team can and should be gunning for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And if you had told me that, before the season, if you told me that a month and a half ago, I would be losing my mind. If you had told me that, knowing that Darius has missed significant time with with COVID and, and, and you know minor injuries here and there, that Colin and Rubio would be out for the season, that this team would would have entire weeks that were lost to the entire team being in protocols, and yet they are they find themselves a game out of first. With the twenty fourth easiest schedule or the twenty fourth hardest schedule left, having added ammo at the deadline, it's just hard to wonder. Like it, it seems hyperbolic, but I just don't think it is. It's. I, I think it's a good goal. I would not anticipate. I'm not saying the cap- season's a failure. Th- if I, I know, I know what you're doing. I, I know what you're doing, and, and I agree. I, I think, especially from like just a joke standpoint, like. I'm not the amount, joking. The amount of punching down that I could do from a number one seed is, is pretty, pretty substantial, Carter. Uh, I, I would be pretty excited about that. Um, 
Do you have any concerns, though, like with adding Karis LeVert and, and potentially uh, another player or, or two or whatever happens at the trade deadline if the Cavs do make another move? Do you have any concerns with that impacting the chemistry of this team? Not really, because they're not losing anyone as it currently stands. You know, obviously trades are, you know, volatile. Chemistry is volatile. But it just seems like so much of what this team is is built around a few things. It's built around Darius's qualities as a leader. That's mm-hmm. not really going away. It's going around the young gun mentality while being flanked with these vets that can stabilize them in Rondo and Love. Um, it's driven by kind of the calm demeanors of, of both Jared and Evan. Like the those factors aren't changing. Now, if they traded for a jerk maybe like uh, like someone who we knew to not be very likable that could kind of mess with stuff someone that would come in with a me personality i still think kobe has to be very very careful about that as he as we approach the deadline mm-hmm. um you know again this is a team that has nobody scoring 20 points and no one seems to mind yeah yeah uh so i think it matters but like i don't think that's karis lavert i think Karis has been on young, fun teams before, and and with with great vibes. And, and, and by all this accounts, is, like he he is a fantastic locker room guy. Yeah, uh, he also passes the test of does his former fan base miss him? Like Nets yeah. fans his, are ecstatic. I'll, I'll, that he's I'll tell you this much, now. Justin. Uh, Karis Levert went to Pickerington High School, uh, where I went to high school as well. And when I posted on Facebook, his seventh grade English teacher talked about what a great young man he was. <laughs> Like, so come on, bro. It's lock it in. He's a great dude. And, and I, I think the chemistry conversations are actually really interesting because at the end of the day, like so much about like how good of a mood you're in has to do with situation. Like I, I know that's at least the, the case for me. And I, I think when you're bringing in a player, if it was someone like, let's say, Jeremy Grant, who has been kind of reported to want like a number one scoring role that, that wants to kind of be featured in that way. Or even John Collins, who uh, is a big time contributor on offense, but isn't happy uh, that he's not getting more touches. I think that's the type of situation that I'd be a little more concerned with. I wouldn't necessarily be concerned with like a disgruntled star uh, or not disgruntled star, but you know, like a disgruntled rotation player that has been in a bad situation or has been asked to do too much uh, or is on a losing team. Like we can, we've seen that that sort of stuff turns around with winning. And, and I think when you, the the situations where you would have a player really disrupt chemistry within a team is when they're being held to a different standard. If you had a, a, a point guard, a backup point guard or, or a wing come in that isn't being held to the same standard as everybody else, I think that's when you start to have infighting and you start to have resentments within the team and whatnot. Like often when we hear of players only meetings and, and situations like that, it's those type of environments where there isn't a culture of accountability. Not a, a situation where Darius Garland, after a loss to Detroit, comes out and says, we're acting like we've accomplished something when we haven't. We need to have that underdog mentality. Not Jared Allen, who goes to JB Bickerstaff after going through a little bit of a lull and says, get on me a little harder, uh, coach me harder, hold me accountable because I want to be better than I am right now. I, I, I don't worry about someone like Karis LeVert or, or uh, a rotation player coming in and disrupting that chemistry because at the end of the day, if you're adding someone into the, the Sexton DP or moving smaller contracts on the end of the bench for someone and they come in and they're not buying into this share the wealth mentality, if they're not buying in to what the Cavs have going on culturally, you can sit them down. And that sends a message that reinforces the culture that the Cavs are creating. Like even Miami, who who is a cultural like a you know Heat culture is what they're all about. That that's what they love to to brag about, and, and that's the, their entire get down. So I hear they bring in guys that have had issues in, in the locker room with other teams, and they count on their culture and the accountability within that locker room to help turn those situations around. And when it doesn't turn around, they move on from those players. So I, I think the cultural kind of, uh, the will it disrupt the Cavs mojo and what they got going on? I think those are questions that are more significant and need to be asked when you're bringing in an all-star caliber player that's going to really disrupt kind of the core dynamic of what the team is. I don't think Karis Levert is that. I, I, no. And I, I don't have a lot of concerns there. 
the one the other thing I'd like to talk about with Karis, um, in terms of kind of talking about the reaction to the trade is there is some degree of you know, a lot of the analytics minded uh and, and cap minded folks didn't quite love this deal for the Cavs. Um Karis is older, uh, you know, then you know, he's not like a not like a twenty year old on a rookie deal. He's twenty seven. Uh, he is, you know, making decent money. Not, I don't, wouldn't say he's overpaid by any means, but he's making decent money. And there's some complaints or, you know, some criticisms from, from folks saying, Hey, Levert's fine. And the price is fine, but there's some opportunity cost for the Cavs. It might be a little harder to re-sign Colin Sexton. Um, it, you know, it's using, uh, draft compensation, which is known to be very, very valuable in mm-hmm. fairness. To to take someone who's a bit more of a known known quantity, I'd like to hear your thoughts on kind of those takes and how much you agree with them. Yeah, well, I, I brought this up before, so uh, it's funny, Carter. I just realized we haven't actually said what the compensation was, which was the Cavs' uh, lottery protected first round pick this year, the Houston second round pick they have, as well as a future twenty twenty seven pick from a second round pick from the Utah Jazz. In return, they did get Miami's twenty twenty two second round pick, which is nice. They still have two seconds this year, which they, is they, not a not a small deal. Right, which can be used either in a deal for the deadline to maybe trade up a, a few spots if there is a prospect that falls. Uh, I should note uh, Sam Vecini in his trade uh, article about Karis Liver did note that 2022 is an especially weak draft slash a bit of a crapshoot after the top 10. Um, but, you know, there, there are still diamonds in the rough that can be found any year. Um, my big concern was, and especially with, assuming that Colin Sexton is back, there's just so many young players that the Cavs are really invested in developing. And even if you were to hit on a pick in in the late 20s, like that's probably not a player that's going to be ready for two, three years, maybe four or five even, right? Like the uh, guys in that range are either older specialists uh, that can maybe be found or replaced uh, with a mid-level exception. Like you can go out and get guys like that or uh, a bit of a project that, that's going to need some time. And you're going to have other years where you can pick in the 20s and, and bring in a player like that. But for right now, I thought that there was a real pressing need to get this team some help to to help make up for what they lost in both Ricky Ruby and Colin Sexton. Uh, both have made massive contributions in the past. And I, I just feel like this better positions them to be competitive this season. Uh, I, I think that this is a, a guy that fits from a cultural standpoint. And I don't really see it as an opportunity cost because you're now putting a guy in a situation where I, I think he's well positioned to showcase himself. You can then make informed decisions from there. Like we need to see, like, I, I know everyone wants to talk about what's, going to happen with Colin Sexton or Larry marketing or any of the other young guys that are outside of the core three. But at the end of the day, like it depends on how guys play, like uh, how Sexton's recovery goes, what the contract asks are like a whole bunch of unknowns that we don't know right now. And if you're going into the offseason where you have Larry Markkinen, you have Karis Levert, you have Isaac Okoro, Colin Sexton, Jetty Osman, and all your future first round picks, you are in a position to get into almost any trade conversation for a star that becomes available. Uh, especially in a world where every other contender has already blown that that you know that that option. Yeah, they, they've you traded know? every first round pick in, in the future, right? Like that's that's or it's like every pick and every other Clippers, year is a pick Lakers, one. Bucks, Nets. I mean, the Bulls still have theirs, I guess, but they've sent quite a few out to get Vucevic. Like they're. There are not a lot of lot of teams that 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 have as much in the future tank as the Cavs do. Yeah, and when you have all your future picks, like I, I understand maybe having twenty twenty twos may be valuable in a trade conversation, but you still have other firsts that can be offered, right? And I, I hate reducing players to assets and whatnot. Like at the end of the day, Karis Levert is a good basketball player that addresses needs for the Cavs. We've already talked about early in the podcast that they probably need another ball handler. If that's Colin Sexton, I am 100% on board with that. I'd be very excited. And I, I think having two kind of combo guards in Karis LeVert and Colin Sexton, uh, someone that can initiate offense in Jetty Osmond, uh, someone that can initiate offense in Kevin Love and Evan Mobley. Like you could see how, regardless of who starts and whatnot, 
I can see that unit working together really well. It's not a heliocentric offense where one guy creates for everybody, but everybody can create. And often we've seen it's not it hasn't been happening this season, but we've seen Jordan Clarkson really do well in a role like that. Right. Where like hey, it's not like he's the only one who gets to touch the ball on that on those Jazz teams. There's a lot of there's a lot of mouths to feed, but he's been able to been have been super successful there. And I think both those dudes are better than Jordan Clarkson. Oh, so 100%. like so like yeah, I I'm totally with you. And I think listen, if you if you had asked me, uh, if this were on uh, draft night next, you know this this upcoming summer, and the Cavs made this exact move, would it, would I still like it? I think the answer is yes. It's, so it's, like, it's another quality starting caliber player on, on a reasonable contract like Lowry Markinen. And if if they were because there were uh, reports that uh, the Cavs may engage uh, Levert in extension talks, obviously, uh, we'll need to see uh, w- what those look like uh, when we get closer to that date. But I, I would expect it to be around kind of what Lowry's getting right. Like, I, I think they're kind of similar players in, in a similar tier that do things different ways but i i think in terms of starting caliber players they're in a very similar tier so you've got multiple of those guys now available you you have other young prospects that are really promising you've got future picks and um in the meantime i'm perfectly fine bringing all of those guys back like it's as long as they Cavs find ways financially to, to make it work and whatnot um i i'm on board with bringing that back and then if you are put in a position where all of a sudden an opportunity comes up on, on the trade market and you have to make hard decisions, you now have multiple players that some teams are going to have preferences over one young prospect over another. Some might have pros, uh, preferences with Lowry versus Levert. Uh, like there, there's so many options and backup plans for the Cavs. If a team covets a player that they have, uh, you like, you can now go with Lowry at small forward. You know that that's something that works. Uh, we're, we're going to find out how well Levert works and, and make informed decisions from there. I, I would just caution people not to kind of put the cart ahead of the course because at the end of the day, like all we really know for sure is the Cavs are going to play on Wednesday against the San Antonio Spurs. And like, uh, especially when you're on kind of this rise stage of team building, enjoying the journey and like finding out things as we go is the, the best way to go about this. Because I, I, I think the Cavs are in a really, really exciting position right now. Yeah, I mean, I just think ultimately a lot of the concerns are down the line concerns, you know, it's how oh, is, is Levert going to work in, in a post? Is he going to stop the offense in a postseason series or are he and Sexton going to, are they going to have to choose between him and Sexton? And like, maybe, maybe they will. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, the nice thing about having players under contract that everyone agrees are pretty good is typically you can, you can use them uh, and move them around. There's this idea of like, once the Cavs trade for the person, they have to be there forever. Like that, that we've been, and I see that from a lot of really smart NBA analysts. And it's like, no, like what part of the modern NBA climate with all this movement makes you think that any team will stand pat with something that's not working exactly mm-hmm. as they want it to, you know? So I, I think there's that. The other factor that why I'm not worried about, you know, opportunity cost is I think they're, is still a lot of muscle memory perception around Cavs first round picks mm-hmm. where people are th- in their brain saying, Oh, they're not, they, are they really like they, they, they won, you know, 20 games last year. How are, how are they ready to give up a first rounder? But the reality is, even if you don't think the Cavs are on the same tier as a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn as a true title contender, the draft pick number they get will be, Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like so like you know just the way those teams realize that you know the 25th 26th pick isn't that valuable the Cavs need to also realize that you know like like that you're not and, likely and it's getting a starter right like if everything yeah. went to, to crap this season it's lottery protected so I, I think yeah. that that's really really important to note and we've seen kind of the, the perils of overvaluing first round picks from other teams like Boston had multiple opportunities to bring in help uh, around Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyrie, uh, uh, Al Horford at the time. Like they had a lot of opportunities that they passed up on. And those first round picks became like Grant Williams and, and other guys that didn't end up contributing. So for me, like I, I, I think 
Indy did very well. Uh, once again, the Cavs benefit from poor asset management from the Houston Rockets. Because when when you look back at it, Carter, the, the fact that Houston got Karis LeVert, they traded Karis LeVert with a second round pick to Indiana for Oladipo. And then all they got for Oladipo was like Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, neither of whom are on the team, and the rights to swap first round picks. That is awful. Awful, awful, awful. And um, once again, I am grateful because this seems to be a common thread with the, the Cavs team building is Houston passing up on opportunities, created opportunities for an opportunistic Cavs team. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm once again, very, very grateful for them. Yeah, it is. Uh, that I think the asset management, I don't think the Cavs like stole Levert though. You I know, don't. Like, I, I think they paid I, a very I, fair price. I think they might have paid 10% more than I thought they would, to be honest. I thought it might have been the San Antonio second or maybe next year's Golden State second. But, like, it's just so hard to to pick nits, you know, especially given, like, there was some urgency for this year, not just because they want to win, but because you're going you're, you're gonna to kill Garland it, with the load he has been carrying for this offense. Like, you wanted to get someone who could help not just for next year, but this year. So, I, I think that it, it's a great deal uh, on the whole. I'm really, really excited uh, about what Levert can add to this team. I don't think he's going to be a perfect fit, but I think he's going to be a very, very helpful one. And, and you know, and if they're wrong, oh, well. You know, it's not like it's that. The, the contract goes for one more year, and it's hard to worry too much about it. I will ask, what is the last, you know, if, if you got to, if you got to uh, kind of imagine, like put a, put a percent chance what chance do you think it is that the Cavs are going to make one more trade? Ooh. I'm going to go with 60%. I, I, I think, obviously, they, they don't have tons of uh, assets to work with. I don't think they're going to move anyone that's kind of within the rotation and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I, I think 60% feels right for me. I, I like I, I have confidence that Kobe's going to be aggressive here and that they're going to look to add a, another rotation player. I would love another one or two rotation players and give JB more options and, and kind of create that competitive environment and not wear, weigh anyone down. But at the end of the day, like just given kind of the, the limitations with the assets that they have, uh, I'll, I'll I feel like 60 percent safe. Yeah, I, I think I would go the other way. I go 40 percent. Okay. I think that Lavert solves so many problems for them that they don't need to make another trade. Like a, a guy that we were talking about a, a little bit, and you talked about with Mac, Luke Kennard. Mm-hmm. Luke Kennard is a more specific player than than Karis Lavert. Yeah, you know, you might want to get a wing defender if you're going to trade for for a guy like Luke Kennard. Like, it, but like Karis is just a little bit on all those fronts that like the Cavs now don't, I don't think Kobe's going to feel the need to make another move. I think mm-hmm. if he makes another move. It's because it's like a value play. Um, and, and, and those play, those are kind of hard to come by right now. Like, it seems like everyone's prices are still pretty high. Um, you know, uh, the Eric Gordon being a first round pick worthy player is all you really need to know, given his situation and where the Rockets are. So like, you know, we'll we'll see, but like I think he'll he own I think the urgency goes so much further down than if they traded for a bunch of these other players who were being rumored for that for that first trade. Sixty forty, Carter. Would you say that you complete me? I do. I thought so. I thought so. Just like Karis LeVert completes this lineup. Like, I, I'm just so excited about this. I, I really do think that he brings something that they really need. I don't think I mentioned this before, but he finishes sixty-four percent at the rim. Like uh, someone that can get to the rim, finishes well at the rim, and can handle in the pick and roll it is such a huge asset. Even if Jetty Osmond loses some minutes, I, I think you're going to get a more effective version of Jetty. I, this is once again another guy that can kind of create for him to to set him up for these quality opportunities. Because we've seen you, you give him good opportunities and good clean looks and keep him in a defined role. And he plays better. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Rondo is having one of his best games as a Cavalier, Jetty's having one of his best games. I, I just think they're in, in such a good position uh, that he's going to help utilize guys like Dean Wade. And just it, it's such a relief to, to get another player that can create because I think there's a lot of smart players on the Cavs that make good reads 
off of a, a pass at, off of a compromised defense, but they don't have a lot of guys that can compromise a defense that can actually create penetration. Like when Levert drives kicks to Evan Mobley and the defense is scrambling. I trust Evan Mobley to make really good reads in those situations. When the defense is stagnant and you just kick it to Mobley on the perimeter, I you, we, we've seen like the shot clock is going to go down and someone's forced to take a bad shot. Now the Cavs have someone that can go out there and take and make bad shots. Destabilize. They- There's, there was no defense destabilization in those last three games, yeah. and he can do that. Yeah, and, and they have really missed that. That is something that Colin Sexton does at a higher level than Levert. But, you know, Le- Levert does bring other things to the table and is still a good, tough shot maker. So I, I think that this is a really, really good position for them to be in. Carter, I do have to ask you, do you think this changes their ceiling for this season in, in a meaningful way? And yes. what do you think that ceiling is? I, absolutely. It's hard to say it doesn't. I mean, they were so deficient in this spot, and one of their primary deficiencies has been addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they replaced him with Brandon Ingram or someone, but like okay, Levert's a legitimately good player, a legitimately helpful player. I think that their their regular season ceiling is higher. That's why I've been talking one seed. I don't really think it was super reasonable to expect them to hold on uh, and, and even leap up above these teams as they were pri- previously constructed. I do think they have enough juice to chase that one seed now. I still, and as a result, I think that they, they, I mean, I think they could win a first round before. I think they're much more likely to now just because they're going to be a better seed. Mm-hmm. Um, they they should have a much easier matchup in the playoffs than they were going to as previously constructed. So while I don't think their chances of beating a, you know, a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn are any higher, uh, you know, or are significantly higher, I, I guess maybe a little bit higher, but not, you know, not. Uh, they're not favored. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do think their ceiling has definitely raised. I, I agree that it's helped their regular season ceiling. I still am going to put the same cap on this team that I, I believe was there before this trade. I don't think that they, they can make it out of the second round. And I would love for them to prove me wrong. But when you look at how competitive the Eastern Conference is, when you look at the experience of some of these other teams, sure, things might break your way and uh, an injury here or there opens up an opportunity. But at the end of the day, like I, I do think that inexperience is going to kick in in the postseason and it's going to be very valuable for them to get that experience. But... You know, I, I just think that that's likely what's going to cause them to come up short. I'm I'm going to be rooting for them to prove me wrong. Uh, I, I'm not someone that values my own takes <laughs> over the, the Cavs' success. Uh, I've been wrong a million times before, and I, I like to have fun when I'm wrong. So uh, I'll certainly be rooting to look like an idiot. But at the end of the day, like I, I still think second round is probably where I put this. If they get in. to the second round, I'll, I will be the happiest camper in town, man. That, that that means a bunch of home playoff games for me to go to. Woo! That'll be a lot of fun. That'll Woo! be a lot of fun. We will be back after the trade deadline on Thursday. I assume 7 Eastern once again, Carter. Thank you to everybody that's tuning in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there, and until next time, get okay.